God knows our hearts. Did you hear the bad news? God knows our hearts. Some of you to think about, uh, we have some uh, good books here. Uh, I don't have a book table. Uh, I've written 10 books. And uh, one of the latest ones was a morning watch book. And I mean, I'm bragging. You mind if I brag a little bit? Go ahead, tell me to brag. Thank you. It uh, it sold about nearly 200,000 books. So I had no idea that was going to happen. My books tend to be practical Christian life. they're available on Amazon. I have uh, three that I like, and one is that you're hearing nips of it, these little uh, uh, warm-ups, and it's called Lord Save My Church. Then I have Lord uh, Save My Family Before It's Too Late. And then I think one of the ones that most people like a lot is Lord Keep Your Mansions, Just Save My Children. When I, uh, you, you know, I don't know if you're aware, but but the publisher gets to put the cover and the name ultimately on the book. So when I sent that up to uh, Review and Herald, I suggested, Lord, keep my, your mansion to save my children. And, uh, you know, people said, uh, said to me, well, that's, that's irreverent. I said, not if you're a man, it's not. Because what that's saying is, of all the things we men could have, it's our children that are most important to us. Lord, keep your mansions. And I have one. I have two on prayer. First one I ever did was on prayer, transforming prayer. Anyway, if you go to Amazon and click in Richard O'Phil or O-F-F-I-L-L, then my book list comes up. And listen, go in. That's where I buy them. Uh, You can buy them for $2, $3, one cent from the used bookstores, and then you pay the shipping. No kidding, I'm, I'm not kidding. And, and anyway, so that's where you can get them. And uh, they were uh, written by my favorite author. <laughs> one time I was, here, here's my notes coming out. Oh, here's one, you know, we've been hearing about the Antichrist. Uh, if someone asks you uh, who you believe the Antichrist is, a good way to start it, excuse me, I'm not a, a theologian, but a good way to start it is, they'll say, why do you believe the Antichrist? Who's the Antichrist? Start by saying, I believe what the reformers believed. See what that does? That gives us a playing field. And once we say that, that gives us authority. I believe what the reformers believed. Then go ahead, we can go ahead and explain it. I was invited one time to, to speak to youth at an academy, academy out in California. And uh, if you've ever spoken to youth, or you can imagine what it's like. Some of these youth are goofy, I'll tell you. They're just not there. They, you know, they really are, bless their hearts. You, you know, if you've seen them, how they wear their hats, they wear them like this, they wear them backwards. When we were kids, there's only two people that wore them like that. That was the catcher and the umpire, you remember that? And so two boys were walking along one day, and one of them said, I wonder why they don't, don't put something on his hats to keep the sun out of your eyes. <laughs> anyway, I was asked to speak to youth, and I didn't know what to do. So uh, I, uh, I thought, I know what I'm going to do. So 
So I stood up and I said to the youth, today, you know, you know, people pay a lot of money to go to seminars to learn how to make money. And uh, the big company people and the business people. So today I'm going to tell you how to lose money. And you know, young people, they like dumb stuff. And that sounded dumb, so they just were really bright. And I said, one way to, uh, to lose money is to ignore it. Put it under your mattress and forget about it, you know. Betty and I lived in South America and Chile where we would have 100% inflation per month. So you take money and put it under your, uh, your bed and bring it out after a few years. It's not the money you put there in the beginning. So one way to, uh, to lose money then is to uh, ignore it. Another one is to abandon it. Just put it on the chair, walk away. What do they say? Finders, keepers, what? Losers, weepers. And another way to lose money is to just waste it. And so I said, the, uh, the seminar's over. How'd you like it? They said, we liked it. And I said, now I'm going to give you another free seminar on how to lose your girlfriend. And, and, and they liked that even more. And I said, well, of course, you, you ignore her. Another way is to abandon her. And another th way is that to be unfaithful to her. And they liked that too. And I said, another way, now I'm going to talk to you, is how to lose Jesus as a friend. It would be the same way. It would be to ignore him, to be, uh, abandon him, or to be unfaithful to him. Anyway, I got done, and I feel pretty good. Doesn't that sound like a good little thing? You know, the kids liked it. And anyway, I went back to the revival meetings, and... Uh, Sabbath came, and I walked into church, and they said, Pastor O'Phil, would you come and speak to the youth? I thought, oh, brother, not again. And, and I hadn't had time to, to get ready for it. And so I walked in, and I said to the kids, I said, you remember me? And they said, yeah, you spoke to us on Monday at the, at the chapel. And I said, did you know what, remember what I spoke about? They said, well, you, yeah, you told us how to... Uh, how to lose money. And I said, well, how's that? And they said, well, you abandon it or you uh, ignore it or you uh, waste it. Man, I thought, wow, I should be in the youth ministries. I'm, <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. And then I said, what else did I talk about? And they said, how to lose your girlfriend. I said, how's that? They said, the same way. Not bad, huh? And then I said, uh, what else did I talk about? I said, come on, that was the part. We don't remember. And the, 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 the real crux, how to lose Jesus as a friend. You see, in our uh, Christian life, our focus is who we're focused on. And for many of the Christians, they're focused on money, on their whatever they have, not on Jesus. But I'll never forget that experience. Let's see, what else did I have? Oh, by the way, we were talking about a pastor, uh, pastors that don't believe in uh, the doctrines of this church. You know what I think about him? He should resign. I, I got a telephone call one time from a person I didn't know. And uh, he said, uh, Pastor O'Fill, I think our church has too many doctrines. I said, what do you know about the will of God for your life you wish you didn't? 
And so anyway, he uh, he talking, and pretty soon I said, "Listen, if you don't believe, you know, if you're having trouble with the do- with the doctrines of this church, why don't you find you another church?" He said, "Listen," he said, "No, I want to stay stay and change this one." And that's what's going on. Uh, listen, we talk about the shaking time. It's here. We thought that when they'd be shaken out of the church, they, they wouldn't come to church anymore. No, they keep coming to church. They just don't believe what's going on anymore. They can be your Sabbath school teacher, your pastor, or whoever. The shaking is on, but they're still coming to church to do the church damage. All right, let's look on the envelope. I can't read this. I did the good news and the bad news. I did the books. Oh, when I said compassion yesterday, we shouldn't have compassion. I didn't mean what that sounds like. I just meant that it's like grace. Grace can be a word that's used to facilitate sin. And I said compassion can be the same. I want to have a compassionate heart but not one that facilitates sin. Okay, I did that one about Betty's birthday. I did that one about too many doctrines. Oh yeah, you 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 heard uh, people say, I think the church is apostatized. I said, I'm a member of the church and I haven't apostatized, have you? No, some in the church have apostatized. But don't say the church is apostatized because I'm part of the church and I, and I haven't and you haven't either and you're part of the church. You, you with me on that? Don't say the church is apostatized. That's not accurate. It's the, here's, here goes, it's the, in the interest of evangel- evangelical Christianity to see the unique doctrines of our church disappear. I was in an airport one time, and and uh, I saw John Ankerberg. Now I don't think I ever heard him on his television. He has a television program in Chattanooga, but he's blonde. And uh, so he was sitting there waiting for an airplane, and uh, and I recognized him. Uh, Ankerberg and Walter Martin debated. Uh, uh, who was it, Betty? Uh, Bill. Bill Johnson, they debated him and they wiped the floor with him. In my opinion, they just, you know, they took him, they just took him out of business. But so I recognized, doctor, I recognized Ankerberg. So, so I walked over to Ankerberg and I said, I'm, uh, I'm Dick O'Phil and I, I'm an Adventist minister. I wish we'd have sent somebody up against you that would have made a better showing. And he asked me who that would be, and uh, I told him. And he said, I got two questions for you. What is the current uh, position of the Seventh-day Adventist Church on Mrs. White and on the uh, 2300 days? And you know, friends, I wanted to say, what do you, why do you care? Why do you care? And you know, you, you, because they do care, they want to wipe it out. And so when he said he had problems with Mrs. White, you know I, what I said to him? 
I said, don't you believe in the gift of prophecy in, in, the, in, the church, in, in the evangelical church? Well, he said, well, yeah, because you know, you go to those evangelical churches and there's prophets all over the place. And so don't, so, so don't criticize me on having Mrs. White as a prophetess. Does that make sense? And then he, he, he said, well, what about the 2,300 days? I said, don't you believe before Jesus comes, he knows who he's gonna get. And uh, he said, well, yeah. Well, see, I had him, I had him covered. But I'll never forget that because the evangelicals are after us. You may have them come to your workers meeting or whatever it is, but they don't mean good for the Seventh-day Adventist church. They wanna cut away the doctrines that make us Adventists. Here, here's some more. You can tell if you have salvation by how you feel about obeying God. A person who has salvation wants to obey. A person who doesn't have salvation resents the concept. The Ten Commandments, the Beatitudes, Philippians 4.8, have something in common. They are all the will of God for the Christian. Listen to this. Those who are saved from every generation will have the same attitudes in common. They were sorry for their sins and from their heart, they wanted to do the will of God. You know, they talk about, about legalism. Listen, don't use that word around me. A person who with all their heart wants to do the will of God is not a legalist. By the way, these words legalist and Pharisee and what's the other one, Betty? I have it written down somebody. These are words that are used to beat back holy living. They'll call you a Pharisee, a legalist, or what's the other one? I forget. I had it written down. I do someplace. Mm-hmm. Mm, does anybody know what I was going to say? No, we, we must, here's another one, we must not forget that obedience didn't put Lucifer into heaven, but disobedience took him out. Obedience didn't put Adam and Eve into the Garden of Eden, but disobedience took them out. If Jesus was going to take disobedient people to heaven, he would have to take the devil back. Here's another one. We can not rise any higher than our concept of God. Here's another one. A person's theology tends to be a reflection of their personal morality. That means if a person has sin in his life that he knows about, he will be attracted to error like a bee is to honey. This is why a clear conscience is essential for growth in the Christian life. We cannot lead people closer to Jesus than we are ourselves. I think I told you or I was going to tell you tomorrow. Would you mind if I repeated it? tomorrow? 
But what about if I repeated this whole thing tomorrow? Would you mind? All right. Do you remember anything I said yesterday? My birthday, <laughs> my birthday, September 16th. Anything else? Romans chapter 1 identifies a homosexual lifestyle. And remember I said you can be born with a propensity to homosexual lifestyle. Just like we men are born with a propensity towards adultery. All of us. But we don't practice adultery for Jesus' sake. In the same way you might be born with a propensity toward a homosexual lifestyle but you don't practice it for Jesus' sake. Don't go to sleep, man. Another one was don't go to sleep, man. That's right. Betty and I have had about seven fights. Now she gets, she gets mad. When she, she wants to fight when I say that. But anyway, you know what I mean. We're not getting along, really. Seven times. That's not bad, huh? For 55 years. You know, we've got to treat our family as nice as we treat people we don't know. Some people say, well, Dick, it's too late for me. I've been mean so many years. I don't think I could stop. And, and I have to be mean. And I'd say, no, you don't. You don't know me from Adam and you weren't mean to me. Go home and be nice to your wife. Anyway, what else? But watch that one on uh, clear conscience. Remember, I see, I have a, a concept about conservative people, because I am one. But remember, too, that Jesus was killed by a coalition of liberals and conservatives. Uh, the Sadducees, they didn't like him. They hated him because he was so principled. And the Pharisees hated him because he was so nice. I want to be like that, a nice person who's principled. Anyway, here's my text for today. In Malachi 4, 5, and 6, you know that one. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. This is big. That means, listen to me, that, that before Jesus comes, there's a revival in the family. And if, and, if, and if we're not letting the Holy Spirit work in our lives, excuse my French, we don't, shouldn't waste our time with talking about the latter rain. We just waste our time. And listen, let me say too, I have this written down a little ahead. Elder Wilson, or the, the church, had a revival list of points. Now, I don't know whether he gave that at the uh, ASI or where it was. There was about 10 points of what the, what the revival and reformation in the church ought to be. I didn't see where it said revival in the family. I didn't see the word family. And I was talking with uh, Elder uh, Wilson just in passing, and I said, why didn't you put in the, in the list revival in the family? 
I said, you don't have to denounce yourself and say, you know, we were wrong and all that. Just start talking about revival in the family. Because we can be no, no, no better Christians if we're not Christians at home. We's not Christians anywhere. Just understand that. Pray your eyeballs out and fast around the sun. But unless we're nice to our wife and kids and to our husband, we're just wasting our time. When you go home from this camp meeting, if you're not a more loving person with the, with the uh, what I want to call it, the gifts of the Spirit, then this was a waste of time and money. Because it's revival in the life that makes it grow. The most difficult place to be a Christian is at home. A person who is not a Christian at home is not a real Christian anywhere. I think that I talked to you yesterday just for a minute about what the society is trying to do to, to the home, turn it upside down, wipe it out. And I, I tell the joke about it in some of these sitcoms, uh, the dog is the smartest and the kids are next and mama's next and the husband is the idiot. You know, isn't that true? In other words, all the problems in the world these days are being laid on the men. Now, I'm real prejudiced on that. We men have our trouble. We men are abusive, but so are the women. You just look in Google and find out the percentage of difference between abuse between men and women, and the women are about only about four points less than the men. Now, you don't hear about the women abusers in the newspaper or in the news for the simple reason that no man wants to call the police and say, my husband, just, my wife just punched me in the nose. <laughs> True, isn't it? Yeah. In, in fact, this is what I say. If there's going to have to be a revival, it's got to be with everybody. I was talking to her in the presence of a person of color. And as long as they're going to call, uh, this is going to make my brother here mad, the white man, the racist, we're going to stay with racism till the cows come home. We've all got to say, we're racist, Jesus have mercy on us. Would you go along with me on that? On us. You can say, well, God changed my husband, but change me. It's always changing somebody else. It's always somebody else's problem. But really the problems are our problems. You know, uh, you know you, people say, well, God needs to change my husband. If you want to change your husband, pray that God will change you first and your husband will be changed, I can guarantee it. <laughs> the Christian life is, is not, it's, it's not easy, but it's possible. It's not something we memorize, it's something we are. Holy Spirit is to change not what we know, but it's what we are to be, to be, to be something new. You know, the role of parents and children these days. I remember, of course, uh, my mother didn't work, so I, I can't, we can't go back. But as a result of our standard of living, the parents are outsourcing, get that word, I think, isn't that, are outsourcing the raising of their children to somebody else. Outsourcing. And uh, is it any wonder, I guess, that we have the, some of the problems we have? 
parents who do things in moderation, the children will do them in excess. If our parents have some problem, the, uh, the children will do it, do it in, in success. I've told young people too, I said, I said, we're gonna be like our parents. Unless we right click on properties and, and uh, unclick certain boxes. You know, I, I'm using some computer talk, am I doing good? Yeah. We're gonna be like our parents unless we check some boxes. Well, I, I don't need to tell this crowd about television. Television is watched by the average Christian, is incompatible with a spirit-filled life. Again, and, and I'm not trying to be cynical or mad because it's everybody's problem, but uh, we can't watch them lie, kill, steal, and homosexualize and all this stuff, and then get down on our knees and I mean, how, how can you do that? What's that, love is a what, rattling chain in a, what, what's, how's that going, 1 Corinthians 13? Tinkling symbol. We Christians are, are, are walking in the darkness uh, when we should be in the light. And, and, and you know, uh, I heard that, uh, somebody said that, that the media are running our lives these days. They run our lives. Somebody in the media decides what we're gonna see and what we're gonna hear. And as a result, that's what we become. Uh, this, uh, during the Biafran War in Nigeria, there was a man that, that was uh, working for the, uh, the, for the TV or whatever it was. And he was at a, uh, where somebody was gonna be, uh, what do you call it, Betty? Shot. They were going to stand him up and shoot him. What's that called? What is it? Executed? Firing squad. And uh, so he's standing there and they bring those guns up just before they pull the trigger. Uh, the person that's going to take the picture shouts out, Cut! Cut! I'm out of battery. Listen, can you believe it? He puts batteries in his camera and he says, Okay. And so they went ahead and shot the guy. Let me tell you, this, this TV and the internet are dangerous, they're destructive, but they are responsible for, for changing the, the culture, and unless we, uh, we're aware of it, we'll be changed too. By the way, I was noticing, was it, uh, it'll come later, that uh, the uh, uniform a soldier wears is not a moral issue, but it's a life and death issue because it shows which side he's on. This is why our women should not dress like the world because it shows they're on the wrong side. Uh, if crazy men wore whatever polka dot, I don't know what kind of tie to describe, polka dot ties, I wouldn't wear one. So I wouldn't be identified as being crazy. So, so when we dress like the world, we become like the world. You can't make it any other way. You also hear people say, well, you gotta, you gotta witness to the world, you know, and 
But when Israel witnessed to the world, the world didn't become like Israel. Israel became like the world. You know, uh, they talk about Jesus as hanging out with sinners. You heard that one when Jesus was with this and that and the other thing. Jesus, listen to me, was, in, was with sinners okay, but sinners who wanted out. He didn't hang around red light districts and whatever it is. Sinners followed him around because they wanted out. So don't let somebody tell you, well, Jesus hung out with sinners. You, you, you know, we can't stand still and let them do this to us. You know, why should we argue? Just state it. The, the, uh, the truth isn't that complicated. Scripture says the, the common men and women heard him gladly. So we want to be able to witness for our Lord in such a way that regular people, Jim, are you asleep? You're okay? You know, did you hear? See, I can see everybody. And so, uh, did you, did you? You're all right. Okay. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I apologize. But anyway, they were having a meeting, and down in there, there was a husband and wife, and she went to sleep while the preacher preached. And the minister saw that, and he said, Brother, wake your wife up. And the husband said, you wake her up. You're the one that put her to sleep. <laughs> you know, when I hold seminars, uh, the one right after lunch, by the way, don't let them call it uh, potluck. That sounds like, uh, what is it, Betty, the, uh, where we get this foot long, whatever. Taco, well, say Taco Bell. It sounds like Taco Bell. Uh, potluck. Fellowship dinner. That sounds like, uh, what should I say? Olive Garden. Then uh, there's, uh, what, what's the next one, Betty? There's, there's uh, well, anyway, what I'm going to say is let's drop those low-class designations and call it maybe vegetarian cuisine or, uh, or a, a buffet, you know, vegetarian buffet. Does that sound good? We invite you visitors to stay after service today. We're going to have a vegetarian buffet. You, you like that? Write it down in my land. You forget it. And uh, I've written down here, if you had the choice of watching a movie on the Sermon on the Mount or on David and Bathsheba, <laughs> which would you watch first? You see, you see, evil is intriguing. Good is boring. Even if it's a Bible, you can say, well, it was a Bible film, but it's a Bible film, got adultery and all the rest in it. You ready for me to start the sermon now, Jim? Maybe not. <laughs> oh, I, I know what I was going to tell you when I started talking about that food. It was after, uh, after potluck or vegetarian uh, buffet or vegetarian cuisine. Uh, people are a little sleepy. So I started talking, and over here against the wall, there was a lady, and she, she went to sleep. 
that wasn't just a normal little sleep. It was spectacular. <laughs> well, I saw that. You know, I can see you all. And uh, I said to the congregation, <laughs> I said, look over there. She woke up, and she didn't go to sleep no more. But you know, this going to sleep in church is, uh, is an interesting thing. I, I tend to do it. And it reminds me of a story that happened over in the Philippines. And uh, the, somebody had the demons. And so they were going to cast the demons out and, and they were talking with the devil. Now don't do that. Of course, he's the father. Well, anyway, don't, don't talk to the devil for any reason. But they asked the devil if he went to church. He said, I go every Sabbath. And they said, what do you do in church? And he said, I make the people go to sleep. <laughs> the old father of lies told the truth for the first time in his life. It's true, isn't it? We can sit there and, and I'm going to use the word watch the television until all night long. Um, but just the five minutes with something of the Lord will put you to sleep. Anyway, are you awake, Jim? No. He and I went to, went to Mount Vernon together. And we'll miss Mount Vernon, won't we? Anyway, I, uh, Forest Lake Academy is there in Orlando where I live. And so I decided to uh, take a survey. Now, be careful of surveys. Surveys have built-in answers. In other words, when they ask you a question, they, they box them. In other words, the way you're going to answer it has already been predetermined because you're in a box and you've got to choose something in that box. So um, anyway, I made a, a, a questionnaire that I was going to give to the seniors. And, uh, and by the way, what we know and how we feel are probably not the same. What we know and how we feel are probably not the same. So I did this questionnaire with these, with these 12th graders. And uh, how do you feel, it said. And it started out, it had three questions. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 uh, being the lowest and 10 the highest, how would you score your relationship with your folks? Now, I put this down to kind of give us a baseline, because if they're going to put a 1, you know that the rest of it's going to be rough. Most of the kids put down 7, 8, or 10. That's not bad. That's a good atmosphere for the questionnaire. The first question was, how do you feel or how do you feel parents could do or what do you feel parents could do to improve their relationship with their teen? Now, when these kids answered these, these questions, they didn't just draw a stick man. They answered the question. See this one? Nicely answered. What do you feel parents could do to improve their relationship with their teens? And the next one is, what do you wish your parents understood about teens? And anyway, out of, a, out of 100 seniors, 99 answered. So that's not bad, is it? Anyway, Here goes, I'm going to just go down this. Do any of you have teenagers in your house? You got one, and there's a whole bunch of these little kids, they're going to be teenagers. You know, I remember Betty and I, 
We have four children, two boys and a girl. And when our kids were about that big, What are you, mathematician? <laughs> you weren't asleep after all, were you, Jim? <laughs> two boys and two girls, and so well. All right, when they were that big, uh, I had a sermon I preached called The Ten Commandments for Raising Children. <laughs> when they got to be about that big, I changed the title of that sermon to 10 Suggestions for Raising Children. <laughs> you know what that sermon is now? 10 questions I have about how to raise children. <laughs> it doesn't get easier. When they're 25 and 30, there's problems that they didn't have when they were three. Anyway, I'm a, I'm a grandpa. Are any grandparents here today? Oh, you know, that's our reward for being parents. I've told people, I said, you know, if you've got a grown child uh, who's married and they don't have children, call them in. Say, listen, honey, I spent a lot of money and went to a lot of trouble to uh, raise you up. And I don't want the money back. You can keep that. But I want grandchildren, honey. <laughs> I want you. You know, you don't have to tell your grandchildren that you're grandpa, they know. When they're born, they just look at you and they know who you are. In fact, we grandparents are a race of people. When I'm in the grocery store and a little cart goes by with some kids in it, you know, just little, they look at me, Jim, and just kind of wave. Because <laughs> they know who I am, that I'm a grandpa. Anyway, what do you feel parents could do to improve their relationship with their teens? Ask questions in a calm way. Now you're going to notice when I go over these that these have to do with husbands and wives as well. And when I went over these results, I wanted to cry. Because I thought, that this isn't just kids with their hats on backwards. These are kids who have a heart that's touched, that they wish things were different. And what they wish isn't off the wall. What do you feel parents could do to improve their relationship with their teens? Ask questions in a calm way. Encourage us. Try to listen and act like you understand. Be more understanding. Talk to us. Be our friend. Be genuine. What do you think about this? Does this sound like a rebel? Not to me. From the heart. Pray with us. You know, I, Betty and I, you can tell sort of what we've been through. We raised a granddaughter for about what, seven years, Betty. And you know, I, I'm glad I got a chance to be a father again, though not under those circumstances. But to have a little granddaughter, you know, around the house and I treated her differently than I treated my own kids. Not, not that I was abusive to my own kids, but with, with Andrea, I was nice. You, you know, you can, because with my own kids, I was in control. 
And when you're in control, you got to be pretty tough to show, you know, and I, I can remember when my, one of my own kids would come, Jim, and I'd say, Daddy, can I do something? No. But Daddy, I said no. But Daddy, please, did you hear me? But Daddy, okay. <laughs> but, but with Andrea, I was different. I listened to her, just listened to her, what she was asking, well, there was nothing wrong with it. Say yes. You can be in control and be nice. Anyway, I remember one day she came in and said, Grandpa, would you help me make my bed? Now, I could have said, you heard me, didn't you? I told you to go make your bed. Now, get in there and make it. But, you know, I realized when I got to be a grandpa that she wasn't trying to get out of making her bed. She needed help. I might make your bed, it comes up to your chest. So what I did was I went in and helped her make her bed. Listen, we can be much nicer to each other than we usually, I should say, we usually are. Things we wish they wouldn't do criticize us so much. You know, I, I've said to women, and, and it works reverse, you women wish your husbands were different then stop criticizing them. We men don't respond to nagging. It doesn't want to make us do more, do better. Not the same could be for the wife, but the wife is kind of our mother. You know, you know our, our, uh, the women are our mothers, and so as, as they get older, that they keep being our mothers. So your, your wife can tell you what to do. Uh, when my wife tells me what to do, I, you know how I respond? Yes, ma'am. And uh, No, anyway, we, we can do better. When the Spirit of God is in our hearts and in our homes, our homes are different. They're different. Don't make us feel stupid when we mess up. Does this sound rebellious? I say no. Don't compare yourself with us with us when we were when they were growing up and what they used to do. Now I tend to do that. Because when you get as old as I am, we're going backward. Reminiscing. You know what I like to do with reminiscing? I like to reminisce with total strangers. You didn't catch on to that, did you? You can't reminisce, Jim, with a total stranger. Anyway, so you just caught on to it, didn't you? Because she over here in the corner said, that's true. Anyway, don't put us down. See, this is what we tend to do. Don't be quick to punish. Don't work so much. See, these are the, these are the young people responding. What do you wish your parents were like? Don't work so much. Don't be so strict. Don't say harsh words. Don't hold something over the child's head. Help us to learn from our mistakes. Don't be overbearing. When I read these, I just thought, oh, God, forgive me. You know, I, I don't, maybe you, you're not like me. I hope not. 
But I'm still apologizing to my grand, my, my grown kids for what I did to them. Now, now, it sounds like I'm just abusing. No, I, I could have done better. You can say, well, you're just on a guilt trip. No, I, I'm merely rethinking my life at this point and saying, I wish I'd have done some things differently. Does that sound like guilt? No, we learn from the past, provided we learn from the past. And I may not want to be criticized by you, although I have a sermon about that. If somebody criticizes you before you get mad, decide whether they're telling the truth. If they're telling the truth when they criticize you, say thank you, Jesus, because God has sent this person into your life to help you grow. Anyway, where am I? Here's another one. What do you wish your parents understood about teens? That communication is everything. You know, as I look back on raising my children, I think I could have done better at communication. I, I, I think our tendency, as I mentioned to you yesterday, is to be referees more than coaches. Many of us only communicate each other with each other when we're mad or when we're upset. And when we communicate with each other when we're mad and upset, it gets worse. It gets worse. I wish, it says here, what do you wish parents knew about teens? That we're all messy. <laughs> you know, you can see, when you see a teen uh, dressed up, they look so, as they say, cool. You think, brother, but look in their room someday. They may look cool, but behind that closed door, it's a pigsty. Don't make their beds and stuff on the floor and everything. And the shades drop. <laughs> and I remember, I, I, Betty and I, of course, with our four children, we, uh, we had two that were sort of born neat and two that were born messy. And, uh, but by the way, they're all as neat as they can be now. But our youngest, when he was still at home, uh, he was on the messy side. And uh, one day I said to him, uh, honey, you know, you talk to your kids. I still call them honey, even though I'm 50 years old. And I, and I said, honey, I'd like you to make your bed. He said, I will. Next day, messy. So I said to him, sweetheart, you know, I want to remind you to make your bed. He said, I will. The next day, it wasn't me. And so uh, I said, I said with, with a little more feeling, a little more sincerity, honey, you need to make your bed. Now at that point with my, I was getting, I began to get tight and he began to get tight. And I realized that things couldn't go on this way because I was going to have a messy bed and trouble with my boy. So you know what I did the next day? I made his bed myself. And when he came home, you know what I said to him? Nothing. I just, just went on like nothing happened. The next day, you know what I did? I made the bed again. And you know what I said? 
nothing. And the next day, guess what? He made the bed. <laughs> he made the bed. You know, again, I'm talking about myself. Just, just look what, what the Holy Spirit does in our lives when we just let him work and pray, God, God, create in me a new heart and restore a right spirit within me. Did I tell you yesterday about being in the airport with this man that was from Kansas that was on his way to take some children on a mission trip? Did I tell you about that? Betty's doing her. You know, Betty's my coach back there. Once in a while, she'll be a referee. <laughs> She's my coach. Anyway, I'm in the airport, and, uh, and we start to talk. This is a businessman from Kansas. And I'll never forget, he began to, as part of a conversation, begin to tell me what Jesus was doing in his life. And I, would, I want to tell you, it impacted me. And, and I began to get tears in my eyes. And I said, please pray for me. And there in the airport, he put his hand on my shoulder and he prayed for me. Now, don't misunderstand me, but I thought to myself, at least in my case, we're, 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 if you're like me, we're probably not good at telling what God's doing in our life. It's not in our kind of our, uh, in other words, we can tell you what's going on in the prophecies. But to say that Jesus is doing it and to actually give a spiritual testimony of the power, I never did that. I, it wasn't the way I was raised. But I want that in my life, don't you? Now, now the Baptists can do that. You know, we can say, well, there's a... No, listen, I want to tell you, there's people all over the place. And I, I've said so many times, there's more of God's people that'll go to church on Sunday than went tomorrow. Uh, the, the church has one foundation, but the church is the called out one. And they're all over the place. I remember one day I, when I was just about that big, I, I, I can remember this. I was with my mother, and so I walked. Somebody walked by me eating a, eating a uh, hamburger, and I said, "Look, Mama, that that those people don't love Jesus." By the way, I don't think I've had my first hamburger yet. I had two cups of coffee in my life because of my problem. They wanted to see if it did me any good. It didn't. You know also. Can I sort of confess to you as your grandpa? Uh, any, anyway, because I got my problem, the, uh, the doctor said, well, you know, a little wine might help that. Well, of course, Paul said, <laughs> a little wine for the stomach sick. <laughs> so anyway, I never had a sip of wine. So he said, try a little wine, see if it helps with the shaking. So when you get desperate, you're shaking, boy, you want to get out from under it. So I had to stop at ABC, you know, where they sell liquor. I walked in there and I just felt terrible. And, I, and of course, I'm apologizing profusely <laughs> to the people telling them I was doing this for medical reasons and everything. But uh, it didn't do any good either. So uh, anyway, what I'm saying is I haven't had my first hamburger. And I, I don't think I've had a, 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 a bottle of Coca-Cola. 
I've been protected, you know that? And, I, and I'm not sorry about it. I'm going to talk about it tomorrow. Anyway, um, where was I? Oh, yeah, I'm talking about Dan making his bed. I, I got a telephone call one, uh, one day from a person I didn't know. He said, Pastor O'Feely, he said, I've got a daughter, and she's about 15 or whatever it was. And uh, she, she's being harassed and cursed. She's been cursed by her colleagues, and they're worshiping the devil. And two of them have committed suicide. And I need for you to pray with us and cast out the demon. Now, when I hear something like that, I don't just put on my running shoes and get over there as fast as I can, because you don't want to fool around with the devil. In fact, a number of years ago, 15 or 20 years ago, the demon, the word exorcism was in. You remember those days? We had several, quote unquote, specialists in our church. Demon was their special thing. But anyway, I said I would pray for him. You can't say no. And I called some of my friends, you know, and said, we're going to have a special thing. Please be praying all day for us. So anyway, I, uh, whatever time that we had arranged, I would, well, he had said, my daughter's not going to be there. And I said, that's okay. Our first meeting, will uh, we need to get acquainted anyway. So I knocked on the door. And he came to the door, and uh, he invited me in, of course. And we went to the uh, family room and sat down. And he began to tell me about his, uh, you know, his daughter and how they got into that spiritualism. And but anyway, in, in, in the process, he mentions his daughter's room. And pretty soon I say, can, can I see your room or her room? He said, yes, we went down the hall and we passed his 10-year-old boy's room and there was those ugly machine gun people and all this killed stuff as posters on the boy's wall. When we got down at the end of the hall where her room was, the door had been kicked in. And when we walked into the room then, it was painted some awful color. There were these huge uh, pictures of these uh, rock people. Those people are devil-possessed. They are the devil personified. And so then, then right in the middle of the wall, there was a big poster of a, of a goat. You know what that's about, don't you? That's a symbol of the devil. And right there on her desk, there was a bunch of devil books. And so I just looked and I didn't say anything. And uh, we went back to the family room. And I said to him, listen, you can't do anything until you overthrow your daughter's room. Now Gideon had to overthrow his daddy's idols before God could do anything for him. Well, he said, if I do that, she'll... Uh, uh, no, I said to him, I said, if you overthrow the room, she'll probably attack you and run away from home. So uh, a week or so later, I got a call from him. He said, I overthrew the room. And he, and he, he started painting the uh, funny colors and the trim and painting it out. And I said, what'd she do? And uh, he said, uh, she just watched. But he said, when I started taking those posters down, she attacked me. Then I said, what'd she do? 
he said she ran away from home. And uh, when she came back after a couple hours, he, he said we sat down on the front porch and talked for several hours. And the communication started that would lead to the victory in the young girl's life. But you know, I, uh, on that same line, I had the conviction that, that, that the, what we call my boy's room is not his room. It's my room. I'm loaning it to him. You know what I mean? I'm loaning the room to him. It's not his room. He can't just shut the door and do what he wants to behind the door. It's my room. That's why I can ask him to make the bed. And you see, we need to do this. It's my house. My kids live in it. But what goes on in the house is my responsibility. My responsibility. So I, I, I want to say this to those of us who are here because, because I don't think that we, we uh, facilitate and exercise what we should do in our homes. In other words, to be in charge of a home doesn't mean we're going to be some guy beating people over the head. Uh, I remember one time uh, Betty was talking with one of our children, the oldest one, and so uh, she said, why doesn't mother just accept me the way I am? And I said, have you thought of the, accepting her the way she is? No, she said, I hadn't thought about that. So, you know, I think that the, a, a young uh, uh, teen can say, why doesn't mother accept me? But, but mother can say kindly, sweetheart, I need for you to accept me the way I am. You be what you need to be. We did that with music. I wouldn't let this music, you know, music is like smoke. When somebody's listening to that music, everybody listens. And so I said, you can listen to music if you put on earphones. You know, when I go to one of these stores, you know, they have this rock and roll music playing, you know, real loud in the back. I'll say to one of the attendants there, tell that guy that's singing to take a break. <laughs> I wish they understood the stress in our lives. You know, when, our, when the young people go out, out there, they're in a world that we as grandparents and parents can't even see. I wish that they would realize that we don't always need to keep, they don't need to keep reminding us of things. They've got to realize that prophecy is, or privacy is an important issue. That it is really embarrassing to have your naked baby pictures shown to everyone. I wish they realized that we love that we want love and want them to be there for us even though we don't say it sometimes. Can you see what our homes would be like if we would implement these things? What, what our relationship would be with our husbands and wives if we would remember these things? Don't talk to me about the, you know, about the end time things. This is the first thing we know because the Holy Spirit has poured out and the first thing it does is turns the hearts of the fathers to what? To children and children to the fathers. The, the outpouring of the Spirit starts at home. You know, you know, it used to be that we go to church huh, to learn how to be Christians. Now we take our worldly lives to church. The church is becoming worldly because the people that are there 
Unfortunately, so many of them are worldly. I wish they weren't so suspicious. I wish they learned, realized that we're still learning about life. I wish they realized that things are not like back then. I wish they realized we make mistakes. I wish they realized life is short, let's not argue. I wish they realized that we will rebel if they are too strict. I, realized, I wish they realized that we don't need them to always check on us. I wish they realized that we're not all stupid. I wish they realized that sometimes we have to learn the hard way like they did. I wish they realized that teens may not tell them everything, but that doesn't mean we're hiding anything bad. It just means that we're not telling them every single detail of our lives. I wish they realized that teens get turned off when parents repeat themselves. It makes us feel like children, like they don't trust and believe us. I wish they would realize that we're human too and that they would be proud of that. I, I was so encouraged with this. Has that been encouraging to you? Or? No, I, I, it makes me feel guilty, but it's a growth guilt. I can't go back and live my life over again. Neither do you. I, I, I don't have to go around on a guilt trip. You know, they call that, I'm so guilty, I blow my brains out. No, learn from what we've been in the past and pray that God will take us where we are and give us a new start. That's what the Christian's life's all about. Here somebody said to me, if I had my life to live again, I think I would be more kind. Isn't that pretty? You know what I'd like to do, if you don't mind? I'd like to have some prayer bands. Would you mind that? Praying twos and threes. Praying for what? What should we pray for? You know, the reason I ask that question is many times we have prayer bands and we're all praying for something different. The church is going to pray, let's pray for the same thing. Put some power to the prayer. What should we pray about? Oh, there you got it. Let's pray about our families and about our children and our grandchildren. You know, I, I had a secretary, I don't, see, I've talked to you privately and I, I get it confused. I don't know whether I've said this to a person or to what. Sybil Waterhouse was from Maine and she uh, told me one day, she said, Pastor Ophelia, I gotta go back to Maine, take care of my uncle. And uh, she went back to Maine and life went on, and then I heard that she was sick with Lou Gehrig's disease. And the next thing I know is that uh, she's dead. Well, anyway, some years passed, and I'm at a retreat like this. And a man comes up to me, and he said, My name is Bill Waterhouse. The last time I saw you, you were doing my mother's funeral, and I was drunk. Now let's go back again while Sybil's still alive. If I say to Sybil, Sybil, do you have any children? Yeah, she would say, i got a boy named Bill. He's an alcoholic. I'd say, well, do you pray for him? She said, yes. She would say, and I'd, I'd say, how's it going? She'd say, it's not doing any good. You know, sometimes I get tired of praying for my children, the youngest ones out of the faith. Anyway, she said, it's not doing any good, and so she died. When I'm talking to Bill at that retreat, he was the head elder in his church and a lay evangelist. When the Bible says, pray without ceasing, what it's really saying is, 
don't give up. Don't give up. I get tired of praying for my kids, <laughs> but don't give up. Don't give up. So let's get in twos and threes, and let's pray for the outpouring of the Spirit oh, in our homes, in our lives, with our children. Lord, keep your mansion. Just save my children. So let's get our little groups and let's pray. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.